morning, Four Oaks. Had a chance to meet you. I'm Paul Gilbert. I'm lead pastor over our Clarence and Midtown campuses. If, if at any time during our, our message this morning I sound incoherent, let me assure you, you're not imagining things, okay? So, so I put the finishing touches of this sermon together about 4 a.m. in Shan's Hospital on on. Friday night or early Saturday morning over in Jacksonville. And we're going to kind of treat this like a lost episode. We're going to work backwards. How did we, how did the Gilbert family find themselves in this position? It, it, it started to, it, isn't that just a lovely family? You could just sop them up with a biscuit. I mean, they are just, all, anyway, we're like, we're going to take this long weekend. And it appears half of our church has taken this long weekend and left. Okay. We were going to go to Jacksonville for the night and eat at our favorite restaurant over there, Catina Laredo, and shop and spend money we shouldn't spend and all those kind of things. And we left Friday morning. We get over there. We're sitting down to eat our, our chips and salsa, our, our queso. And parents, you've been in this position, right, where one of your children decides right then, right there, that's the time to get violently ill, okay, right? You, you, you've been there. So Susan rushes, and I won't say which child it was, she has red hair. She's the youngest. Anyway, so rushes Virginia to the, to the bathroom. Mom sends word back from the bathroom, and that's never a good thing, right, Dad? Okay, when mom sends word back that we're out of there, we got to go. So we pack up everything. Virginia's really ill. We go to urgent care. We do, and I'm, and I, you know, I'm a dad. I'm just like, eh, she's fine. She's great. Just make her whatever. I mean, I got to... I have to leave in my middle of my chips and salsa. And so anyway, we, so we take it to urgent care. Yes, indeed, she's got the flu, which is perfect, just what you want. And, and so we're like, oh, let's go pack up our stuff. Let's get home. And so, so we're, we're in the Hyatt. We're packing up. It's 930. We get 10 miles out of Jacksonville, 10 miles west, heading back to Tallahassee. And some strange alien infected my body. Okay, so I start getting the shakes and got tension in my jaw and my chest feels like it's about to collapse on itself. And I'm just like, oh, it's sure it's like heartburn or whatever. Right. Okay. And so, so the, we, we start calling all our doctor friends in, in Tallahassee and they're all like, get to the ER right now. Okay. And I'm a dad and I'm like, it's no big deal. So we go to the ER in downtown Jacksonville. Virginia's got the flu. Okay. We're all just like, we're piling into the, to the emergency room. They start hooking up all the EKG and all the, I did not die, girls, correct? Okay, so that, that, at least you know the end of that story. They're hooking me up, doing the checks, x-rays the whole time. Susan has to go to Walgreens and get flu medicine for Virginia. And this is where we find ourselves here, okay? This is at 1.30 a.m., okay? While they're taking a picture of my x-ray, and I've got Guido, the drug dealer, next to me in the ER, okay? If you see... Jack in the far right corner, he just huddled up in a little ball, okay? And so kids are texting this stuff out and all this. Anyway, and so I finally get out of there at 4, 4.30 a.m., okay? And we, and we roll back to Tallahassee yesterday morning, just completely collapse. And, and why am I telling you this story? It's because if the sermon isn't any good, that, that's why. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, before diving in, just a couple of things here. One, um, we, we are making these books available to you. This is installment two. And um, thanks to, to, to Pastor Lance primarily at our Midtown campus. He's responsible for putting these together. Use them in your quiet times, your fellowship groups. Use them to take notes during the sermon. Speaking of, of Pastor Lance, I want to give you a quick 
um, exciting Midtown campus update. If you don't know, we're one church in multiple locales. And so we have a campus down in Midtown. Our vision over the next 68 years is, is to start three or four more campuses. It's our way of saying, you know what? We're taking church to people. We're not just a little holy huddle up in Killarne asking everybody to come here. We want to be in communities, in neighborhoods. And so about two and a half years ago, about 100, 125 people from this church, from the main campus here at Killarne, went down to Midtown and said, we want to make, stake our gospel claim here and be a presence in our neighborhoods. And that, in that campus, by God's grace, is now over 350 people. And it is growing and it is financially self-sufficient and self-sustaining. And Lance is down there like just overwhelmed. And so we loaned Pastor Scott out for a season to go help. But over the last six months, the elders have really been in strategic discussions and planning, how do we staff that campus? How do we pastor people? And, and really have felt more and more that we're going to need to call another vocational pastor for that campus who's primarily oriented to the needs of Midtown and bring Scott back here home where, where he belongs. And, and so I sent out a Four Oaks weekly update this week, which kind of pops the hood up a little bit and to tell you what's going on with that. If you didn't get that email, let us know. We'll send it to you. But just to put that on your radar, the, the elders, pastors have been engaged in that candidating process. We have a particular candidate. It's coming in town next week and it's going to be at the Midtown campus going through interviews. And, and we're just seeking the Lord um, on that whole process. So even though that person's more oriented to Midtown, we want to keep the whole church family abreast of what's going on with these things. It's a great issue to have, that God's really blessing that work, and, and we're real excited to see what he's going to do. So please pray for us. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at six verses, one through six. And as you're flipping there, let, let me ask you this question, folks. What do you think it takes to be an effective leader? What do you think it takes? What should be the credentials of one who is called to lead. You know, 16 million viewers almost tuned into the Democratic presidential debate early this week on CNN. And by all accounts, Hillary Clinton, um, sporting her very nice blue pantsuit, by the way, I might mention, um, mopped, the, come on, mopped the floor with her Democratic opponents. It was, a, it was consensus. She was very presidential. She was confident. She was funny, at ease. She was in command of the issues. And, and of course, all of this was sort of the backdrop of, of the ongoing FBI probe into her email habits. And did she breach national security? Did she lie about it? Um, what's the deal? How's it going to impact her presidency? And, and what I'm about to say is not a political statement. It's an illustrative one. It's not about Republican, Democrat, politics. It's just a, it's just a statement. It's very interesting that there's been lots of discussion about how these character issues impact her candidacy. Can she overcome them? How is she addressing them? What do people think about them? But isn't it interesting, there's been very little discussion, in the mainstream culture I mean, about whether those character issues in and of themselves make her unfit for office in leadership. There's lots of questions and discussion about how she's navigating it, what sort of spin can be put in place, how this will impact things, but do you notice very little about whether these issues should really matter 
at all. And that is telling, is it not? Because culturally, what kind of person you are oftentimes has little or nothing to do with whether you can be an effective leader. Those things are not seen as related. But let, let me tell you, that is, that is not how the Apostle Paul thinks about these issues. Because he's writing 2 Corinthians, if you remember, because his integrity has been assaulted. He planted this church. He spent 18 months there. He left to go do another gospel work. And when he leaves, the super apostles, the Judaizers from Jerusalem, roll in. And they want a piece of Paul's ministry. They want his platform. They want his stature. They want his influence. And they're going to they're going to stop at nothing to get it. They attack his motives. They attack his credentials, how he looked, how he spoke, his ambitions, his generosity. They had one main purpose, these super apostles. They wanted to destroy Paul's credentials and to discredit his leadership in ministry so they could have it for themselves. And Paul, in our text this morning, is going to go right to the heart of this issue. What does it take to be a spiritual leader? What are the credentials for those who were called to wield spiritual leadership? Now, if you go to a pastor's conference, this is the pastor's conference biblical qualifications text par excellence, right? And, and there is no question this passage relates particularly to church leaders. Paul is an apostle. He's representing his apostolic team, and he's speaking to that. However, let me just say for us, I think this text is relevant for all of us in two really, really important ways. And here's the first way. You are called as a member of the body of Christ. We all are, by the way, myself included. We are called to entrust ourselves and to submit ourselves to church leaders. Hebrews 13, Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, we could go on and on. But, but, but here's the catch. You are not called to submit yourself to unqualified church leaders, contra the Roman Catholic Church. You are called to submit to qualified leaders, which, which means you need to have a grid. We all need to have a framework for understanding how we are to evaluate leaders and how we are to judge them. Because we here at Four Oaks ask you to affirm your pastors and elders, and that is not perfunctory. Because if there is not a foundation of trust here, let me ask you this, married, married, married couples. If you don't have trust in your marriage, what do you have? It, it, let me give you a clue. Nothing, right? Okay. You got nothing. Because we have nothing here. If we do not have a basic foundation of trust, this is so important for all of us to understand what this text says about this. But, he, but secondly, and, and this is equally important, is do you know if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called to exert spiritual authority and leadership in some sphere in your life? Whether you're a man in your marriage or a mom, 
with her children or a teacher or a fellowship group leader, or you're working in the children's ministries classroom, all of us, as, and we're gonna, we'll see this from this text, are, are called to bear the mantle of spiritual leadership in some, in some context. It's just a matter of degrees. It means all of us, and I really want to, want to call us to this, four oaks, need to place ourselves under this text. And I want to go back to the verse we ended with last week with Pastor Dave's message, which he didn't spend a lot of time on, but which propels us forward into our text this morning. 2 Corinthians 2.17, the last verse of that passage. Here's what Paul says. He says, For we are not like so many, and here's what he calls them, peddlers of God's word. What's a peddler? Someone who sells their wares. A huckster is what the word means. Someone who leverages their, their influence and authority for their own gain. Whether it's financial or status. He said, we, we are not, Paul says, like so many peddlers of God's word. But here's what he says. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, folks, I'm going to make an assumption this morning that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that if, if, if the Holy Spirit truly lives in your heart has regenerated you, you, you look at that, that verse and you say, God, that's the desire of my heart. It's my desire as a mom, as a dad, as a fellowship group leader, a Bible study leader, whatever position of influence you find yourself in. And you read that and you say, God, I don't want to be a manipulator. God, I want to be a facilitator of of truth in other people's lives. I want to be a person of sincerity. I, I want to be sent out by you. I want to walk before your face. I want to give a good account of my stewardship to you. I'm going to make that assumption that that text resonates on some level in your heart. And the issue this morning is, how do we establish that sort of leadership credibility? How are we to evaluate it? And there's going to be three things that we hit on in the text this morning. We're looking at verses 1 through 6, a short passage. We're going to read these verses in little chunks as they fall under each of the points. Okay, So verse 1, a qualified spiritual leader must absolutely must, have a commendable character. Not a private one, but one that can be commended to others. Verse 1, Paul says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, he asks, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? That's his question. You know, I've written more than my fair share of letters of recommendation in my life. And letters of recommendation, by the way, are what youth pastors write to over-exaggerate student character quality so they can get scholarships, right? Kinda. No, really, it really is. Well, Susan, when we lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and she was going to get a job in Jackson, Mississippi, needed a letter of recommendation, and she went to her principal. And, and you, know, you know, there's letters of recommendation... And then there's like letters of recommendation. You know what I'm saying? Okay. 
And this lady, her principal wrote her a letter of recommendation. And I, I'm going to be honest, I've never seen a letter like this. Okay, according to this letter, Susan might possibly have been the greatest teacher in the history of the world. Okay? Perfect in every way. Gifted relationally and administratively and in leadership and loved by everyone. She was that perfect blend of, you remember Richard Dreyfus and Mr. Holland's opus, okay? And then Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society. She was the perfect combo, okay? And I remember the day we got that letter of recommendation and we're like, uh, cha-ching. Okay, like this is our golden ticket like in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So frame that. Take that thing. It's our, it's our entryway into a job somewhere. It was, you know, I mean, when you get a letter like that, it's gold. Guys, letters of commendation were every bit of that in the ancient world, but more so. Okay, guys, there was no technology. You could not Google up some, somebody and find all the hideous things that other people are saying about them, right? You couldn't do that. There was really no good way to know someone's character unless they had a letter of recommendation. And so, so teachers, people of influence, would, would, would carry these letters around, and they were their ticket to employment, to status, to prestige. They'd come into a city. Um, they would say, hey, I, 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 I taught in this context, or I ministered in this context, and here's the letter from this church or this institution or, or this society, and it, it, will tell, it will tell you who I am, everything you want to know. And that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Guys, Paul had planted this church. He was their spiritual father. But when he left, the super apostles came into town from Jerusalem. And what, did, what do you think they had in their hand? Letters of commendation. And they flashed these things around. And they said... Who is Paul? Where, who is he? he? Paul's got no letters of recommendation. We, we, we come from the top. We've got the letters and the Corinthians swooned because they were enamored with pedigree. They were enamored with lineage. And, and that was their culture. And does that cultural characteristic sound familiar at all, by the way? Do, 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 we, do we fall into that? Oh, yes, we love, okay, People with prestige. If, if you want to know why millions of people in the UK follow the royals around, okay, you know what I'm saying? Or, or why millions of people here in the US are enamored with every move of the Kardashians, okay, it, it's because it's certainly not having anything to do with what they've actually done. Josh, do they do anything? I don't think they really do anything, okay? It's the same with these super apostles, it was all bluster. It was all shows, all letters. They hadn't done anything, but they had the letter. And, and they were using it to destroy Paul's credibility. So how does Paul respond? Verse 1, he says, are we, and it's, it's a rhetorical question, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do, do, do you really mean it that we need letters of recommendation? Are, seriously? <laughs> are, are you kidding me? I, you're asking me to establish my credibility with you? Don't you know me? I've lived 18 months with you. We worked together, suffered together, bled together. I poured myself into you. You don't need a letter of commendation from me. You know me. And, 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 when, and, and as Paul appeals to his character... As his first commendation to ministry, it really, it really sets for us a, 
a trajectory to understand how this works for all of us, whatever sphere of influence we find ourselves in. And, and here it is. It's an important principle. Character lies at the very heart of spiritual leadership. Character lies at the very heart of spiritual leadership. And, 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 here's, and here's how this fleshes itself out. Because your spiritual influence with people will be crippled if your character is not commendable. Guys, an uncommendable character will cripple your spiritual leadership. Fathers, it will cripple your leadership in the home. Parents, it will cripple your leadership with your kids. And and the reason why, okay, Couple reasons why. One, you can't export what you don't embody. Okay, um, you know we're a zombie genre culture. Okay, zombie. Any zombie? Any zombie freaks in here? Going, going for that at Halloween? Whatever. Because what do zombies do? What do they impart? Death. Right. They impart death. That's what zombies do. Guys, as a leader of influence, you are called to impart spiritual life. And if there is no spiritual life in you, if you are not on some level, and I don't mean perfectly, I mean walking consistently above reproach in the issues of your heart, you can't export what you don't have. Parents, you can want all you want for your kids to be great, however you define that. But if there is not spiritual life in your life, you can't impart that to them. Because another reason why this issue is so important, if you do pretend to impart to someone what you don't have, because all credibility and the gospel of Christ and the reputation of Christ will crumble and cannot bear the weight of that hypocrisy. Guys, guys and this is, this, is a, this is a call to us to say, hey, Am I above reproach? You know, we oftentimes apply that passage to leaders, okay, rightly so. But every one of us have to ask in our most intimate spiritual relationships, if someone were to make an accusation against our character, could you say, could I say, just like Paul did, you don't even have to ask. There's no smoke. There's no mirrors. There's no blurred lines here. I am who I am because you know me. I walk out who I am in community and authenticity and transparency. Because just imagine yourself as someone coming to you and making that character assault. Is there anything in you that says, man, I couldn't respond that way. I couldn't respond as the Apostle Paul does. I believe God's Holy Spirit, just like he did for me this week, by the way, a devastating text, just a devastating text. Where, when you ask yourself that question, is God's Holy Spirit prodding you? Where do you? Where is He calling you? Not, not, not towards perfection, but towards repentance, because that's the mark of spiritual leadership. Because you know, there's a big debate going on right now online, of course about the Billy Graham rule. Do you know what the Billy Graham rule is? This is what pastors do, by the way, in their spare time. Um, They track these things. The Billy Graham rule 
is that he, he, he decided at the beginning of his ministry he would never be alone with another woman, not in the elevator. He wouldn't travel with another woman. He wouldn't eat lunch with another woman, wouldn't do coffee with another woman. And, and now in, our, in our, all of our postmodern wisdom, people are coming forward, Christians, you know, that, that is so archaic. That is so puritanical. That is so legalistic. That is so silly. That is so debasing to women. But you, do you ever wondered why no one has ever, and I mean ever, made a character accusation against Billy Graham? Why is that? Just like Apostle Paul, you know me. I don't need to show you a letter of recommendation. You know me. Because where, where does that question or that statement fall on you? Locate yourself in that. Because without commendable character, not perfect character, but commendable, repentant character, Paul says we, we cannot have spiritual influence. It, it will totally short-circuit any spiritual influence you have in your significant relationships. Okay, second point. Second credential for, for ministry, for spiritual leadership, changed lives. Commendable character, changed lives. Okay, look in verses 2 and 3. Paul says, he goes on, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. If you're in management or you're someone who does a lot of interviewing or looking at resumes or hiring, isn't it interesting that some of the very best resumes yield some of the very worst employees? Is this, is this not true? <laughs> this is true. You know, a number of years ago, I was on um, the LinkedIn site because someone had referred me there to look, at a, to look at a resume, and I saw someone on there that I recognized. And I happened to be familiar with this person's previous employer and their work. And I also happened to be familiar with what all happened in this organization. I was reading through this guy's accomplishments, and I realized, you know, this, this resume is Barbara Streisand. You know what Barbara Streisand is? BS. Okay, anyway, I, 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 know, I know where this guy's worked. I know who was responsible for all this work, and I know it wasn't him. As you can say anything on a resume, right? Okay. But employers, who are the best employees? Who are the best employees? Those who have a proven track record. Those who can get it done. And here's what Paul's saying. Corinthians, you want a letter of commendation? Here's your letter of recommendation. I've got a letter of recommendation for you. Go look in the mirror. That's your letter. See, I came to you when you were a pagan living out the most idolatrous of lives. And I just simply proclaimed to you the gospel message. And God has radically transformed your life through Jesus Christ. And if, if, you, if you really need a letter, just go look in the, in the mirror. You, you are my living letter. And, and, and Paul here points us to a very, very important principle of spiritual leadership. And here it is. Because credibility in leadership is measured in part, not, not in whole, 
okay? But credibility and leadership is measured in part by the gospel fruit it produces. You know, I don't have to tell you that we live in an age of hype where you can, you can construct an online profile and establish online credibility in a drop of a hat, right? Whether it's Facebook or Twitter or the cesspool known as Instagram parents. And by the way, I said it in the first service, and Sean Herman texted me a picture of one of my child's um, Instagram pages. Anyway, so I'm a hypocrite there. Anyway, guys, but it's so easy to manufacture an image and accomplishments and results and to make up things that are really just a fig newton of our imagination. And, And that is not Paul, though. See, guys, Paul could testify to God's faithfulness in producing fruit through his ministry. There was no hype needed. Because here's what Paul says. Look at the text. He says, he says guys, you're, you're, this letter that the Holy Spirit has been writing, it is known and read by all. It was written on your hearts by the Spirit of God himself. See, guys, the super apostles came into town waving their letters written with ink on pieces of paper only known by a few. And Paul says, i got something so much better. You're a living, breathing testimony. My ministry portfolio is filled with faithfulness as the messenger of God. You know, and and this is, you know, Paul uses a, a, a really... Amazing analogy, okay? And, and, and this gets to application. Because, guys, there is a wrong way to talk about fruitfulness and results in ministry. Guys, there's a, there's a wrong way. Okay, let me say this first. But Paul makes something clear here, okay? Paul says Jesus is the author of the letter that he, he orchestrated in your life. Your changed life. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who has written this letter on your hearts. Okay, make make, make sense? Then what does Paul say he is? Paul says, I'm just the mailman. I just delivered the message. That's all I did. Certainly faithfully, but humbly. See, guys... Paul points us to something really important here. Do you know that only God can change hearts? Do you know that only God can change hearts? Parents, your influence in the life of of your children is pivotal, it's vital, it's strategic. We can't overstate it, okay? But understand something, parents, it's not ultimate. It's not, it's not ultimate, and it's not even decisive. That belongs squarely with the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul is pointing the church in Corinth back to that. He said, you know, God had written this, this, the law and these stones in the Old Testament with his finger, but that only condemned them because their hearts were hardened. And so God had to give you a new heart. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 36. And this is, this is in view as Paul is, is writing. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. I had lunch with, with a man on Thursday. 
and he's had a difficult previous church experience, and he just said, you know, Pastor Paul, I'm so excited because I'm at Four Oaks, and I'm finally growing again. What's the appropriate response at that point? Praise the Lord. We're just the mailmen. We're just the mailmen. Guys, mailmen are important, right? But they're not ultimate. Ultimately is the guy who's writing the letter and the per- who's dictating it and the person who's writing it, and that is God and that is Jesus. So there's a wrong way to talk about fruitfulness and results in ministry. We, we cannot claim for ourselves the glory that only belongs to Christ. That's, pr- that's application point number one. Number, application point number two. Nonetheless, we are all called to be fruitful in our leadership. And just let me ask you a question for a minute. Who, who is your letter? When you think about your life, Christian, who is your letter? You cannot not have a letter. Parents, if you have children, husbands, if you have wives, wives, if you're in a Bible study, if you're serving, you cannot have letters. That's not even a choice. There's letters all around us. The question is, what are you writing? Who are you writing? Who is your letter? Who is the life that you are building into? You see, not everyone can have the same fruit in their ministry. That's not the point. Pastors and ministry leaders get themselves into trouble so many times in this way. The question is faithfulness. Jesus, in his parable with the talents, gave one servant one, one three, and one five. The point was not, how does the one with three make ten? That's not the point. The point is, how is the one with three and the one with five faithful with what God has entrusted? What did the one servant with one talent do? What did he do? He buried it. He was not a faithful servant. He did not steward his gift to leverage for spiritual growth. Guys, all of us are called to be fruitful in our leadership. Who is your letter? Whose lives are you building into? Because let me tell you about a woman that that most of you know here at Four Oaks, Lori Crow. And Lori um, used to work at the Chelsea House, which which is a shelter for battered women. And she began to invest herself in a letter that God was writing into the life of a woman named Gwen. And we're going to have her up here. Gwen Gwen lives in Havana. And and Gwen um, has a lot of needs in her life. And Lloyd has said, I believe God is calling me to invest myself in this person. This This is a letter that God is writing that I need to be a faithful messenger for. A lot of Gwen's needs are not just spiritual and emotional. They're also physical. She lives in a, in a very hard place. And so Lori coordinated and recruited five or six guys from, from Four Oaks here, Neil Walter, John Post, Steve Schaefer, Danny Welsh, Brian Will to go and just to begin to begin to address some of the physical needs in her life and home repair and giving her a livable situation. Why? Because they realize they have a spiritual stewardship. Brooks, who is your letter? Third and last point, guys. Last credential for spiritual leadership. New covenant 
confidence. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. And by the way, this is probably the most important point of them all. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, covenant is not a word culturally we're very familiar with. Maybe we hear it in a marriage ceremony, right? Two people make a covenant together. If you've ever closed on a house and you had to sign those papers called covenants and restrictions, you ever had to do that? And so when you decide you wanted to like build a moonshine still in your backyard, you found out you couldn't do it, right? You, had, you were going to be sued or whatever. Covenant restrictions, they're binding agreements. And in, and in the Bible, these are life and death agreements made between two parties. And Paul says, you know, there's an old covenant. That's where we get our word Old Testament. He said, but we're called to be ministers of a new covenant. Because see, under the old covenant, it's not that the law was a problem. The law was given. The problem was with us. We couldn't obey it. And it was condemning for us. And, and Paul says, God had to provide a new covenant for us through Jesus Christ. You see, these super apostles were coming in and saying, yeah, Jesus is great, but you still have to observe articles of the old covenant. And, and Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, the, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The old covenant does not impart to you the divine power needed for obedience. Only a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. And we're all familiar with Jer- Jeremiah 31, and here it is. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a, here it is, new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant, that means the old covenant, that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here's what Paul's alluding to. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Folks, here's what we mean about what it means to be a minister of the new covenant. In spiritual leadership, you will lead people to something. There is something that you will lead people to, some source of hope some source of influence, something for them to grab hold of in their lives. And ultimately, you will either lead people to Christ or you will lead people to something that will give them no hope. Because a lot of us are involved in ministries that are are curtailed to, to individual and personal needs in people's lives as we should. You might be someone like Lori who's, who's involved in helping battered women. Or maybe you're working in the women's pregnancy center. 
Or maybe you're a financial planner and you love helping people manage their money. Maybe you're into poverty or special needs or leadership developments or marriage enrichment. And guess what? All those things are great and we're called to do them. However, if you are not ultimately leading people to the gospel, if you are not ultimately leading people to Christ, you will crush the very people you are trying to help. Parents, if you lead your kids to morals without the gospel, you will crush your children. Pastors and elders, we will crush our people if we lead them to to legalism apart from Jesus Christ. Paul here is issuing a call to us, Four Oaks, that ultimately there is one thing and one thing only that provides our sufficiency as humans. It's not what we do. It's not how much money we make. It's not what kind of marriage we have. It's not how obedient our children are. It's because of who Jesus Christ is for us. And that's why Paul can say, I'm not sufficient. I'm not sufficient. But I am sufficient because God has made me sufficient. In spiritual leadership, you can lead people to follow you. You can make your leadership all about you. But when you do that, you are crushing people because you will ultimately disappoint them. Every leader will disappoint the people who follow them and the people that they influence. But when we lead people to Jesus Christ, when we lead people to the gospel, we can say, as Paul does, yes, now we are sufficient in him. What kind of leader are you? Is your character commendable? Are you being a steward of the fruit that God's entrusted to you? Are you leading people to Christ? And guys, as you ponder those things, I really want to preach the gospel to you in this passage as we make the call to come to the table. You know, Paul, this is so interesting, is calling the Corinthians of all churches his letter. And guys, we know that the Corinthian church was dysfunction junction Okay, never a more problematic church that we've ever heard or read about. But you know what? That doesn't keep Paul from seeking to identify with him and saying, you know what? As messed up and as screwed up as that church is, they're my letter. They, 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 they belong to me. I'm their spiritual father. He, he loves them so much that he looks through their sin and weaknesses and says, that wonderful mess with all of my problems, all those problems, that's my letter. Guys, do you see that that's what Jesus has done for us? Do you see that, that we are Jesus' letter? And he's written his love on our hearts. We're just like the Corinthians. We, we are, we're fleshly, we're prideful, we're boastful, we're we don't have commendable character. We don't, aren't good stewards of our ministries all the time. We oftentimes lead people to things that won't give them life. But you know what Jesus says? He says, you still belong to me. I authored you. I dictated the Holy Spirit to write on your hearts. And I'm continuing to write your story.
Folks, there is gospel hope for all of us this morning as spiritual leaders. This is a personally devastating text this week. Sitting under it and thinking about all the ways that I failed in all the different spheres of my leadership. And I believe that's the Spirit of God. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing here. And that we would grieve, but not without hope. But that we would, would grieve over our sin, turning to the only place that we can have respite, and that is Jesus Christ. Praying for hearts of repentance. Praying, Lord, I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. I want to be that parent. I want to be that husband. I want to be that mother. Lord, do a work of grace in me. Write your spirit, with your spirit, right on my heart.